Hello, my friend, Dennis Gebhardt here with Guru Nation, welcoming you to this episode of Guru In Your Ear, along with my teaching partner, Max Mastiano. Max, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Dennis? I am good. And uh, yeah, just uh, making it happen, man. Every day is an adventure. Um, <laughs> every day when I go on social media, I get in trouble because <laughs> I see stuff that makes me really nervous. <laughs> and I think most importantly, it's that language, you know, it's a language thing, the way we talk in this industry. And um, so I, I think it's going to be kind of fun today. Absolutely. So today, I think it, you know, I think it'd be beneficial for us to explore the language that we use in the hair color business and how so much of that language is not really relevant to the actual chemical action that is occurring. But let me be clear. My mentor always told me a couple of things that I have held close and used as guideposts throughout my career. First thing he told me was, remember that we send in words and we receive in pictures. So whenever we communicate or converse with someone, even though we're using auditory, we're using verbal language, we are receiving pictures in our mind as the person who's communicating with us is sharing information. And so it's something... It's the way that the human species interacts. So we send in words, we receive in pictures. So sometimes the words we use send a different picture than what is really happening. Sure, sure. And the second thing he always told me was don't use inside lingo on outside people. Mm -hmm. And that means that as a trainer, when I'm doing a class and I'm using 9BV, I have to realize there's people in my class that have no idea what 9BV is. Or if I'm using a 6.12, there are people in my class that have no idea what a 6.12 is. So I immediately lose the learner because I'm using a language that they are not yet yet exposed to. So I've always tried to keep those two golden rules I've always felt they were so important, especially for educators and trainers. Sure. Now, Dennis, I'd like to add a third rule to this. If oh, I may. okay. And that is, and you actually taught me this, is that without a point of reference, learners can get lost. And what we mean by this is if a learner has never had any exposure to what you're teaching, how are they going to follow? So, we have to sort of lay down those guideposts so that they actually have something to compare that information to and essentially record their experience with it. Otherwise, it's just going to go completely over their head. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, Max, I really do know what you mean. And thank you for pointing that out because uh, I've actually had that happen, you know, using a, information and assuming that everyone knew what right. i was talking about right that everyone knew even that they knew a a behavior that they understood what post-oxidation service was <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds pretty self-explanatory but some people have no idea so if they've never 
perform that if they've never yeah. done a retouch, if they've never done a what do they say nowadays, TZ lights or a foliage? If Does. they've never done that, you have to give them a point of reference so that Absolutely. they can stay up with us, you know. And and that comes in the form of uh, is creating stories that that will help them understand. You know, one of the biggest things I learned, Max, was when I was trying to talk about dye development, and I was saying to you know the people in the class, I was saying, well, now the you know, the precursors, the couplers, and the modifiers penetrate through the cuticle layers into the cortex, and they bind together, and they create a color molecule. And uh, you have to know what's in your color before you mix it. And that we always use that rationale to explain why dye-outs are so important. Mm -hmm. And then I really realized that even as basic as that sounds to me, to someone else that may not be so i kind of changed the way i present that i said okay let me let's kind of stay with me here let's imagine you have a box of crayons but your crayons when you use them you can't see the color for 30 minutes you have to wait would that make you frustrated <laughs> well yeah that would make me mm -hmm. frustrated well with hair color that's exactly what's happening you're using a color that someone is giving you an estimation of on a swatch book sure but you're not there's no guarantee that that's exactly what that color will look like so that's why die outs are so important for us to do so you know breaking it down for the learner i find is real important so i don't know how i went down that rabbit trail i apologize for that uh so if you are ready here we go yeah let's start with some of the most basic terms max um the ones that drive me crazy, uh, like fingernails across a chalkboard. <laughs> you know, it's like root touch-up, root smudge, or root shadow. Or root tap, or root blur, or tap and tone, or, or, yeah. or. Yeah. There, there are a myriad of terms that are basically used to kind of refer to placing a deeper color at the scalp area. Right. And, you know, refreshing a color. And, you know, yeah. but the thing is, is that we don't color the root. None of us do. We never have. The root is at the base of the papilla. Right. <laughs> base it's of the under, hair follicle. It's under the skin, guys. It's under the skin. But we still call them the roots. You know, and our root extension and all of this. So, it's not what we're doing, and that's what we have to understand, is that it's not the roots. It's the well, Actually, it's almost the mid-shaft. Right. <laughs> it's that first half inch that grows out of the scalp, that soft, keratinized protein still has moisture in it. And new, that's why it reacts more dramatic, yeah? New growth. New growth. That's a great name. Right? Scalp area. I mean, that's I a wish, great name. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I wish I invented it. Zone one is a great name. Exactly. You know, there's all kinds of things to do. But uh, again, it doesn't describe what we're doing. And so we have to really omit some of those things that we use to communicate from our language. Now, Absolutely. let's talk about this next one. I love this one. Are we going to get to the root of it? Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, I love this one. Let's talk about lifts. That's a word, right? And yeah. 
here's the funny thing. Because we chose to use the word lift instead of lightning, they're both the same. We created the illusion in the mind that when we lighten here, we are removing something. And that today in 2022, people still believe when they lighten hair, they are removing something from the hair, which is simply not true. Right. Now, it is true that when we lighten hair with hair color or lighteners, some of that natural melanin is changed. It certainly is, but it's not removed. Here's what actually is happening. It is broken down into smaller bits. That's the simplest way I can explain it to you, which change its chemical composition. Okay, Remember that all things derive their color from three properties. Their size, their shape, and their chemical content. So... We break those down into smaller bits. It changes the chemical composition, which makes the hair lighter and causes us to interpret it that the process is a removal process. When nothing was removed, actually, it was reduced. That's actually what we're doing. We're not mm -hmm. removing. We're reducing. That's right. Now, the more we break down that natural pigment, the lighter the hair becomes until eventually... The chemical construction is broken down so far, we break down those last remaining sulfur bonds in the hair that now the chemical construction has changed to where visually we see no color at all because it's taken it outside the visible spectrum. Right. So that's what's really happening in the hair. We're not lifting. We're not lifting anything out. We're breaking the hair down so it it gives us more reflection and less light absorption. Wow. Well, I've got another one for you, Dennis. Okay. How about this lovely word? Strip. Oh. We're gonna we're gonna strip the hair. Yeah. That's You'll get funny. that color stripper. Yeah. All right. So first of all, whoever would want their hair stripped? That just sounds aggressive, you know? Yeah. And besides that, science teaches us that we cannot strip an artificial color from the hair. We can yeah. certainly change it by breaking down the structure, but we are not removing it. And Absolutely. again, it's, it is just like you talked about just a few seconds ago, just like with natural pigments, as we break them from larger structures into smaller structures, that give the hair a visually lighter appearance. The same thing can be done with hair that's been previously colored with artificial pigment. You can break those artificial pigments down into smaller structures and again, give the hair a visually lighter appearance, right? Absolutely, and, Max. And in both cases, if we were truly removing or lifting color out of the hair, we would see it run down the, the drain of the sink. Yeah. It, but it doesn't go anywhere. Right. It's still there. I, I saw a live the other day on Instagram. And the educator was saying that when you put a color on a previously colored head of hair, you're not really 
all you're doing is you're pushing the molecules around and you're not you're breaking them down you don't push it's not it's not a marble it's not you can't push it over to make you break it down you change the structure you know that's that's the whole thing it's a chemical change but uh again that's the, the situation i've always said that you know if it really was removing you would see the color wash down the drain but you see nothing you see nothing take bleach put it on black tinted hair guess what the hair will get lighter <laughs> but you won't see any color why because it's breaking everything down mm -hmm. all right so let's move on how about oh. the word dialogue oh man this one makes my eye twitch yeah it makes my it makes my ears hurt when i hear someone say so let's explore the genius of this term, dilode. You know, dilode was used back in the 1970s and 1980s to refer to nitro dyes, which were direct dyes that were added to a shade in order to intensify the desired hair color result. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dennis, that was mostly in a lot of red shades, right? Yes, absolutely, because they, um, the FDA... Uh, they eliminated us uh, from using red dye number three. And so and we could only make red orange. We couldn't make vibrant red shades. So we had to bring in nitro dyes in order to intensify it to actually create a vibrant red shade. So, you know, like what I always understood prior to seeking education with you, Dennis, was like, I always understood dilode meaning the amount or concentration of dyes in that shade. So the the deeper the level of the shade, the heavier the dye load. Yeah. So what you're saying is that's not true? I'm saying that's not true. And yet in today in 2022, hair educators teach that level two has more pigment than a level eight. So let's try to be clear here and just say that color, first of all, it's a visual measurement. It's not a physical measurement. What do I mean by that? Uh, in most color labs, uh, they use a machine called a Hunter spectrophotometer, which measures light absorption and light transference. And so if you take a hair swatch, you dye it, and then you put it in the Hunter spec, the Hunter spec will give you a reading. It will tell you whether it's a medium brown, dark brown, light blonde, medium blonde, whatever, based upon its light absorption and its light transference or light reflection, if you will. So that is really what we're working with. We talk about all of these things like they're, they're physical, but they're not. They're visual. I always say we're not working with marbles here. Like a level two doesn't have a hundred marbles, whereas a level eight only has 10 marbles, okay? A level two, it, it's true that it's darker than a level eight, but that has nothing to do with the amount of dye. It has to do, well, let me ask you a question. Would you agree that there are many shades of color, of blue? How many, they, I want you to take a minute, if you're listening, and think about it. Would you agree? Are there many shades of the color blue? 
you've got dark blue, you've got medium blue, you've got light blue, etc. You can go right up the scale. So at a level two, it is darker than a level eight, but it's darker because it contains a different set of dye intermediates or a different tone of blue. So darker shades contain dark blues. Lighter shades contain light blues. Extremely light shades contain gray. Why? Because gray is a blue dominant color. <laughs> and, but you don't see blue in gray. But yet gray is, has blue in it. So it depends on how light or how dark the, the shade of blue is that I'm adding to my color. So when I build a color line, when I build a level two, I build it based upon the chemicals that will give me a dark blue shade. When I build a level eight, I build it upon based upon the chemicals I can mix that will give me some blue. I've got to have some blue to balance my color, but it will give me some also a little bit more yellow, a little bit more red. Again, I'm at a little lighter yellow or a little lighter version of red. It's all based upon visual measurement, not on physical measurement. Sure. Now, here's one that's sometimes hard to accept. And this is going to ruffle some feathers, Max. <laughs> okay. And it's <laughs> the word neutralize. Oh, man. Well... You know, Dennis, because we learned from the color wheel and we were taught that if you wanted to control warmth, you use the complementary on the color on the color wheel to neutralize that unwanted tone. And we've all seen this exercise done in different forms using food coloring, paint, colored pencils. The only problem is, you know, that's not what we color hair with, is it? we use chemicals and these chemicals don't have pure tones. In fact, they start out colorless and when they combine, they form a final color at the end. These chemicals also have background. You have to have background in order to have a color, even if it's called pure tone. And that's another story for another time, but most often backgrounds made up of brown and gray. And then, of course, there's the whole idea that during the hair coloring process, there's a certain amount of pigment that's just lost naturally as a result of the chemical activity that's taking place in the bowl. So if we look at this, because we don't use pure tones in hair coloring, we're not going to get the same effect that we see when we use these examples like paint, crayons, markers, construction papers whatever. it's They're not chemicals in the sense of hair color. And because our colors have background in them, meaning brown or gray, there's also additional considerations that have to be made when formulating with these chemicals. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Max. And because no one talks about pigment loss during the process, it is confusing when we use a complementary shade thinking that we will neutralize just like we learned on the color wheel and we do not. And those warm tones come peeking through at the end of the process 
or within a day or two. Sure. And we say, why did that happen? It, it was giving. It was going to be orange. I used blue. I should have created neutral. And the fact is, you know, when we mix our color in the bowl, it immediately begins to oxidize or develop. So during that process, that application process, I've mixed my color, I'm applying it to the head, peroxide is still developing dyes in the bowl. And so you can see that happening because you see the solution changing color. Absolutely. Now, the crazy thing is, is when I finally get to that part and I'm using that already oxidized formula on the hair, it doesn't go back to zero. I already have partially developed dyes that are now, they are, they've grown, they've gotten larger, and they won't even be able to get through the cuticle layers into the cortex of the hair. On top of that, one of the side effects of peroxide, because peroxide does what it does all the time. It, it, you know, peroxide does not control anything. Yeah. It is controlled by the environment in which you place it. So it will always do the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. So during the color process, peroxide, yes, it does develop dyes. Yes, it carries dyes into the hair. Yes, it breaks down natural melanin, but it also degrades some of those dye intermediates that are in the bowl that will never connect together. We call that non-effective pigment loss. If you want to know more about that, we'll tell you at the end of this session where you can find that information. So the fact is that science teaches us that it's not possible to create an ash brown, an ash blonde, or an ultra ash blonde in one step process. None of us have ever done it. In fact, I know this is going to be really hard. I want you to just take a moment, take a deep breath. None of us have ever neutralized a hair color in one step. <laughs> oh, I can hear you. I can hear what you're thinking. Okay. We've not neutralized it, we've refined it. You know, we will achieve some refinement, but we did not neutralize it. Because if you look up the word neutral, it means without tone. So if you're trying to make somebody uh, a dark ash blonde, you don't even want to neutralize them. Because if you neutralize them, they'll have no tone in their hair. And dark ash blonde is a tone. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We use the word neutralize, but we don't neutralize. We truly are in the refinement process. If I want to create a true ash shade, it must be done in two steps. I have to, first of all, lighten the hair to my chosen level, and then I can apply my neutralizing shade over it to make the ash blonde color that I'm looking for. In order to make a true ash, the service must be performed in two steps. Hopefully that clears up that whole idea about neutralizing and, and terminologies that we have like neutral brown. That, my friend, is an oxymoron. Yeah. Okay? Neutral is without tone. Look up the definition yourself. Brown has tone. Therefore, it is impossible for brown to be neutral. That's right. Okay? 
ivory has tone. Therefore, it is impossible for ivory to be neutral. Eggshell has tone. Therefore, it is impossible for eggshell to be neutral. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. See what I'm list, saying? Yeah. The list goes on and on. Yeah. So, Max, you're going to love this next one. Finally, is uh, this amazing word, calibrated. Ah, it's so sciencey. It is. It sounds very fancy. It does. Very technical. And and we see that this word is used many times right. when different manufacturers are trying to create a point of difference between their yeah. brand and others. Yeah, they're trying to create that point of difference and trying to uh, tell the hairdresser they can count on that color, always giving them what they want. That's right. Well, Dennis, spill the truth. Well, the fact is, all colors are calibrated. If you look up the term calibration, it, it's, you're setting, you're measuring something to a standard. That's right. So if they're using a hunter spectrophotometer to measure the visual values in their swatches, they are measuring something to a standard. So calibrated is not it is not unique to one company. It is universally what we do. We calibrate something. It does not mean that the spaces between levels are equally spaced. That's right. And in fact, depending on the manufacturer, some cosmetic chemists will actually calibrate their colors using their eyeballs and not I even know. using a spectrophotometer. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, because this, it's measured, it's calibrated. Yeah. Well, this debunks the belief that you can mix two colors, let's say a level five and a level seven, and you can get a level six. And, and the reason for that is because the way of hair color is built. Remember, it's a visual measurement, not a physical measurement. Because right. of two things, reflection and absorption of light. The ratios vary. So that means if I'm building a level eight, I'm going to have a different ratio of reflective color versus color that absorbs light. Whoa, spent a thousand dollars on my nose and my mouth doesn't work. It's terrible. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so that's the thing you have to keep in mind. It's like they're varied in the ratios. They're not evenly spaced. Nobody can do that. And so as a result of that, it debunks some of those belief systems. Now, there are people who mix those light shades and dark shades together, and they say it's calibrated. So this is in between, which means that they're using their eye. And as well as your vision might be, I am promising you, your visual assessment is nowhere near the assessment of a piece of equipment like the Hunter Spectrophotometer. Absolutely. And so, and what happens, I think, is because we do that, Max, because we believe, then we eventually start believing that our result is exactly what it's supposed to be and when it, and it may not be. That's why when someone looks at your result, they kind of go, well, that's not a level six. And, and like, honestly, Dennis, when you have somebody that sounds... I, mean, I hate to say it, that sounds smarter than you, says something with a lot of conviction, you want to believe 
Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, but the reality is everyone is from levels one through 10 in a brand of hair color. Let's just take the natural series. Each one of those tubes of colors has a different chemical combination that gives you that visual result. It's not a diluted, two is not a diluted version of one, three is not a diluted version of two, on and on and on. Right. So what you're actually doing, if you're, let's say your five has, your five N has four dyes in the tube or bottle and your seven N has two and you're out of six, which maybe has seven, you know, you're combining those two sets of chemicals together and you're creating a new chemical. Right. Now they're designed to be intermixed and most hair color companies do do their due diligence. So you get something sort of close to what you think you're supposed to get. But if we are going to split hairs, pun intended, and break it down to brass, brass tacks, you know, mixing a five and a seven in a hair color line will give you probably something close to that company six, but it's not giving you the exact chemical composition Right. of that six by itself and that's okay but it's just good for us to know absolutely some hairdressers if they're out of you know 6n they will mix a 2 and a 10 thinking 2 and 10 make 12 you divide that by 2 you're going to get a 6 and when they don't get a 6 you know that right. color didn't work yeah and you know what, Max, when you do those mixing, if, you're, if your goal is a reflective result, it'll look really good. But if your goal is a, a result that absorbs more light than it reflects, you will notice yourself that it's darker than you wanted it to be. Absolutely. And the reason for that is because exactly what Max just said, you know, you cannot do it precisely unless you have the tools. So, has this session been interesting to you? Have you made some discoveries? Do you want to learn more? Well, if you do, here are some options that are open to you. First of all, buy my new book, Captain Color vs. the Pigment Pirates. Um, There's a new book just launched. It is everything we teach at Guru Nation. It is what we teach, it's how we believe, it's what we stand for. Uh, it's available on DorianBookstore.com. It is available on um, Amazon.com. However, they only have three copies left as of this recording until uh, they have to restock. And you can find it on Barnes & Noble. So we believe that it's called A Handbook for the Modern Colorist. We believe that it's a great book to have to your side. It's a great resource. And a lot of the things that Max and I talk about and teach are contained in that book. Now, your other option would be to attend Guru Nation's Hair Color School. Uh, and our next session begins October the 9th. And um, Hair Color School has been a raving success for us as a company. It is a 30-day exposure in hair color, uh, working with uh, a couple of coaches, Usually we have three coaches that work with you. 
You're in contact with your coaches 24-7 through a special messaging service. Uh, we do our sessions, four sessions, plus a fifth bonus session so that we can walk you all the way through to the end of when we do our mapping. And um, <clears throat> that course takes you all the way through hair science, hair chemistry, hair color chemistry, physics, law of color, formulation, everything that you need as a good, solid foundation. Now, it, after you've attended that course, we also have a course called Guru Nation's Hair Color University. Our first session for Hair Color University begins October 3rd, uh, 2022. And it is the next step up. And that step, we, we are hoping you've already had color theory, so we don't have to go back and talk about the color wheel. Uh, but we start right in with color correction. You have two weeks of color correction. Then you have a week of highlighting and color placement. Then you have blonding and toning. And so that gives you a completely well-rounded A to Z experience in hair color. And we truly believe that once you've attended hair color school and hair color university, you should be a fully well-balanced hair colorist. Now, the other option is uh, we have classes that we do, individual classes. The next one we're doing is actual live class. It is called Swatch Out, and it is a live program where we teach you how to dye out your hair colors, how to read your dye out so you understand how to, how to look for opacity, how to look for translucency, how to read the scoring so that you can see the secondary and uh, primary and secondary tones that are contained in the color. And so we walk you through that information. Plus, we talk about background tone and reflex so you understand how hair colors work. Uh, that program is coming to Oceanside, California on September the 19th. It is a hands-on class. And uh, we have already half the people are already, it's already half sold out. So please let us know about that program. You can also follow us here on your podcast platform, whatever one you're using, whether you're using uh, Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whichever one of those three that you're using, uh, you can follow us here. We do podcasts at least one or two a week. Um, so hopefully you'll you find them meaningful. You can also follow Max and I on Instagram. You can find me at Real Captain Color. You can find Max at Max M Hair. You can also follow us on YouTube where we do our program called rabbit trails and the chat it's under guru nation so we have all types of options available to you if you found our information meaningful and you want to continue to follow us to uh, further your education we certainly hope you found some nuggets in this episode today if you have found it beneficial please share it with your friends our entire mission is to present you with factual science-based information and strategies that will help you discover your own personal genius. So, until we are together again, from my heart to yours, this is Captain Colors signing off. Max, how about you? I am out of here. Until next time, friends. All right. Well, listen, everyone. Have an amazing day, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye, guys. The preceding recording was a presentation of Guru Nation, a brand neutral, 
educational resource for salon professionals.